Welcome to TKG's Healthcare Insights, where we explore healthcare's critical issues, challenges, and trends with a focus on achieving the quadruple aim of enhancing patient experience, improving population health, reducing costs, and improving the work life of healthcare providers and staff. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome. We're glad to have you listening today. I'm Warren Smedley with the Kinetics Group, and today we'll be continuing our discussion with TKG's summer interns as we continue to hear their insights from the research they have done on the issue of advancing health equity. They've done some excellent work over the summer exploring the many challenges facing our healthcare delivery system for improving health equity and how each of us can make a positive contribution to achieving the quadruple aim of enhancing patient experience, improving population health, reducing costs, and improving the work life of healthcare providers and staff. This is part two of our discussion with our summer interns. Let's pick up where we left off. Have any of you looked at what uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation are doing, or CMMI, what, what they're doing to promote health equity and some of their new programs? Yeah, that's, uh, that's me still, Warren. Um, I looked okay. into that, and it's super interesting to, to learn about. So basically, the CMMI... Basically, they are just promoting health equity in their new program. So just for some general background, Medicare is um, an insurance option that is available for people that are age 65 or older, as well as younger people with disabilities and people with end-stage renal disease. Basically, Medicaid is an option for um, low-income families, just for all low-income families. But with that, it might not be the greatest insurance compared to that of maybe another option. And that just goes to show just another example of how Good, reliable insurance can be hard to come by, especially given any sort of conditions that you may, may be living in or may be um, a part of. So CMMI is doing a great job at just embedding some uh, like reliable measures of equity and social determinants of health into the Medicaid payment and service delivery models. So basically by just adding in this equity measures as part of financial and technical assistance and in service delivery models um, and the idea that just service can be made easier for everybody, CMMI actually seeks to reach new providers in underserved communities. So it's just a great thing um, that they're doing on the topic. And then honestly, it's really similar to that too. There's um, other changes that have been made, such as reflecting the prioritization of health equity. So in March 2021, the National Institutes of Health launched the UNITE initiative, which addresses just structural racism and racial inequities in biomedical research, as well as in early April 2021, the CDC declared racism a serious threat to the public's health and noted that it would lead in efforts to confront systems and policies that have resulted in the generational injustice that has given rise to racial and ethnic health inequities. Amanda mentioned this earlier, she did a great job, but these are just some changes that have been put in place on top of what CMMI has done as well to improve any of the difficulties that arise uh, in regards to health equity. Excellent points. Hey, many of our customers in the life science industry are really interested in what's happening on the international front. Uh, Have you looked at any of the global issues that are taking place with respect to these health equity issues? Yeah, definitely. And I'm really glad uh, you asked that, Warren, because it's so... It can be kind of daunting to think about how this problem um, or just the, yeah, the problem of health equity that's happening at our personal company or the companies close to us can actually be happening on on a way larger scale. Um, And so they are happening globally. So as Amanda mentioned earlier, the WHO or the World Health Organization has made these four factors that I'll mention in a second, their top priority. 
these are some factors that, you know, take place on a smaller scale, like I mentioned, but also it's great to see that they are being implemented on a larger scale as well. So it shows that there's recognition for health uh, equity everywhere and a need for um, improving any sort of of these issues that may have happened within health systems. So I was really glad just to see that it is on a smaller and larger scale. So some of the factors that have become the priority would be just reviewing national health programs to leave nobody behind, breaking some barriers towards a more equitable health system for everybody, uh, which I thought that was awesome. And then advancing gender equity and human rights through programs and policies, and then also ensuring gender responsive health systems. So just health systems that are going to just give you what you need when you need it, if, if you want to put it a little bit broadly. But those are the four factors that the World Health Organization is doing globally. And of course, like I said, that's happening here on a smaller scale. So just looking ahead, um, like I mentioned, there's a broad range of efforts that have been put in place both within and beyond the healthcare systems here in the United States, as well as outside of it. And these efforts will be instrumental in advancing equity. These efforts, such as prioritizing equity across sectors, providing resources to support efforts to advance equity, like I also mentioned, and like Ethan will too, increasing availability of data, supporting and building on existing community strengths and resources, which Warren, you mentioned, and that was great, like seeing what has worked and then that the things that haven't worked, um, building upon them. And then establishing some goals, accountability, and then oversight for equity. And then at the end of the day, like Amanda mentioned, recognizing and address it, addressing racism as a root cause of disparities. Thank you. I'm glad you mentioned kind of what's happening globally. We tend to be very critical, as we should, of the United States being um, yeah, citizens definitely. here. But if you look around the world, we actually do a pretty good job compared to many places in the world that really have a difficult time addressing issues of health equity and keeping people healthy throughout the world. Many countries have a lot worse problems than we have. Not that we shouldn't yeah. be fixing ours, but uh, we definitely need to look at this from a global standpoint. So you've mentioned, and Amanda mentioned also, this growing body of knowledge and the need for sharing of data. Data is can be difficult to share sometimes, depending on who owns it. But uh, so far, it's been a great discussion. And I'm not sure whether you've heard of or are aware of something called the doubling curve of knowledge. Uh, globally, largely due to the internet of things, yeah. the volume of knowledge is doubling about every 12 hours, which is oh unbelievable how fast know, it, wow. it, it's doubling. Uh, part of my doctoral research has all been on adoption of new therapies and how we deal with this new knowledge. How do we take right. new knowledge? How do we implement new knowledge? Part of that is data. We've got to have the data. But then we have to have help interpreting the data. And I know a lot of what's happening in healthcare, the healthcare doubling curve, and that's this is an old statistic, was about 72 days. That was a couple of years ago because we're looking at how do we train our own clinicians to implement the new therapies. And it's a lot to keep track of. Ethan, I think your focus in all of this, you've been mentioned, mentioned a few times, is one who's kind of looking at this from a biostatistics perspective being a graduate student and uh, biostatistician, how, how is the data thing fitting into this? What are we doing with data in the data world? Yes, thank you so much, Warren, for mentioning that. And thank you so much for mentioning about the uh, keeping track of different things. I mean, uh, from my perspective, keeping track of things is an important use of data, but it's not the only one use. So data today, with the help of augmented intelligence, can be used to help provide solutions 
like predicting future health equity issues. And because we are now gaining the computing powers and more great data sets to analyze. So I think the use of data is and will be the cornerstone for achieving health equity goals and many for three reasons. First one, so I think different granularity of data will actually give us a different insights and that will help us to better reach the true health equity definition and identify some real problems. And here's an example. Grant Thornton published the data and showed that till, uh, till January, January 2022, two times COVID-related deaths in African-American persons compared to white and non-Hispanic persons in the U.S. And the next question we want to ask is, why is that happened? Is that because they live in a more condensed community population? Is that because they have limited access to uh, the medical resources? Or they have a relatively low vaccination rate? So that is when the more granular data will help us to understand and make the right conclusions based on the uh, less granular data. And the second reason is that there's a general trend for more hospitals and health systems to becoming data-driven. And data is becoming one of the most valuable assets for health systems. And here's a survey has done by the Lloyd Center for Health Solutions in 2019. And they said that 81% of surveyed health system executives said analytics is extremely important or very important to their leadership performance. So if you don't own enough assets of data, you, you won't be able to gain the advantage for competing with other health systems. And finally, in my opinion, data actually does not only mean the equal access for medical resources for everyone. It's also about the distribution of uh, medical resources from the health systems. And that may include where to build a hospital and is there any therapeutic areas to focus on for each hospital. And that should and has to be built on the comprehensive data sets in order to accurately anticipate the trends and the change of needs in the future. And that is three reasons I believe that data will be the cornerstone for achieving the health equity goals in the future. It's going to be a challenge. Uh, data, we got so much data available, actually sorting through it, making sense of it. Some data is good. Some data is not good. Some data is useful. Some data is nice to have, but doesn't really add to the you know any decision making. I did, um, I think, mention to you as a team at one point that the average individual clinician can use seven pieces of input to make a decision, and we've got you know thousands and thousands of pieces of input to any particular person's situation or condition. And helping us sort through that data is going to be uh, really important to be able to figure out how do we use it to make sense of the data that we have. Do you have any examples of how applications of the use of data can be helping? Do you have, do you see this working anywhere? Yes, I think, uh, like you mentioned, data is one point. Another point is how we use data. So I think there are some important processes include data acquisition, data standardization, and data analysis, and all they are changing rapidly. Of course, we are changing the ways to acquire data and health systems are actually addressing the problems in standardizing data. And for data analysis, those augmented reality and machine learning algorithms are reforming the ways of how we look at those data. I just finished earlier today a telephone call with the American Telemedicine Association. We have a committee that we're working on the use of remote patient monitoring through things like wearables and portable devices. I actually had a chance to publish on this several years ago uh, where we were using wearable fitness trackers to monitor breast cancer patients. I'm sure a lot has changed 
since I did my study. But and I know it's important that we use these wearables and and portable devices. Have you done any work with that or seen any trends there? Yes,、uh, in my opinion, they are definitely affecting the traditional ways to acquire data. And thanks so much for mentioning that, Warren. Well, in the past, I believe most data acquisition took place at hospitals or at clinics, and now、uh, they give us more flexibility to record and connect dots with the emergence of those portable and wearable devices. But before we answer how it affects our ways to acquire data, first I think we need to know what types of data we are acquiring. Well, I would classify the types into、uh, two types of data, and the first type is the type of data that traditional acquisition ways are already enough to collect, and that may include race,、uh, ethnicity, and language data, medical and pharmacy claim data from payers, and、uh, demographic and social economic data from federal, state, and local government. Such as CDC's social vulnerability index, and the other data are actually being greatly influenced by using the wearable devices, and that may include patient-generated health data from remote monitoring, like you just mentioned about the fitness tracker to monitor breast cancer, and also there are self-reported experience and outcome data from patients, and the medical adherence data, and even the community health need assessments. So after mentioning about the data types of data we are acquiring. We can find that there are a lot of benefits for this emergence of the wearable and portable devices. So, for health systems and organizations,、uh, such devices will give us more data to add details and give us a more understanding about long-term outcomes of patients. And then, hospitals and health systems can add layers of those additional data sets to be able to connect all the dots. And for the individuals, I think they actually make us to get better understand about. Uh, ourselves because they make those crude metrics like、uh, life expectancy, the geography, and race to be more specific. Like we we have we can now record our long term long term heart rate, the、uh, blood oxygen level, and that can give us give us opportunity to build a more comprehensive profile.、Uh, and individuals can also have a better understanding about their own、uh, health conditions. But on the other side, there are still some risks of this emergence of wearable devices. And the first and the largest risk is the about the、uh, device access. So imagine that if a person doesn't even have a Wi-Fi access, how can you expect she or she to enjoy the benefit of wearable devices and record their health data? And there are also other risks, including whether individuals can trust、uh, those tech companies to、uh, upload and use of their own health data, and also whether health systems can. Be able to use、uh, the data since they are from different sources and they, they have different、uh, qualities. And the final risk should be that、uh, I think the trust today in the healthcare systems is also an issue. And because, like we mentioned,、uh, the data are, is a really important asset for companies. So why would they just give such profit away spontaneously? And in order to solve that, I think that may further involve the intervention from the government or NGOs to motivate those health systems and farm companies to work together. To disclose more information and data, and、uh, that is why I think at the current stage, it is really a good thing to have、uh, all these all these different types of data to collect from、uh, like wearable and portable devices. But we should not overly depend on it. And at least、uh, the first step for us should、uh, should be done is that we need to find solutions to at least make sure they will not widen the health equity gaps. That's a great point. You know, there's a lot of people who use data have the right things in mind, but if data gets into the hands of people with the wrong ideas or bad motives, 
uh, it can be a real problem. It can actually make things worse, not better. We have to be careful uh, how we protect the privacy of data, how we protect individuals uh, and the use of their data, and uh, then how we apply it. We've got so much data that's available. And one of the things that I struggle with, I've seen over and over again, is that everybody is collecting data now. All these big companies are collecting data and it's profitable to own data because you can sell that data to people who want to use it for things. And so the idea that we're actually sharing data or the data is standardized, we've, we have lots of trouble with electronic health records. Uh, you think that because the electronic health record is the same for a number of different physicians or hospitals, that you can actually share that data. And that's not, that's not always the case. Um, so standardization could be a problem. Are you seeing any trends in how we might better share data through standardization? Yes, like you mentioned, standardization is a really essential step before we do analyze. And Mandy, I think Mandy also uh, raised a good point mentioning about the inconsistency of the data collection today we have. And especially today when we have so many different types of data acquired from different sources, we need to value the importance of data standardization. And we can imagine if health systems are just conceived by separate private sectors, and that will cause great inconsistency across the state legislation, the payer dictates, and even the uh, privacy regulations. And at last, those vulnerable populations or the patients will bear the worst effect of this fragmented, inefficient, and expensive health systems, and all everything will be reflected on their views. So, and addition on that, I, I believe every health systems have their limitations on patient group group patient group profile, and no data set is perfect. So here's an example. So I think uh, currently the uh, Boston Medical Center is now launching its health equity accelerator programs, and for the uh, Boston Medical Center, seventy percent of its patients identified as Black and Latino, and because of this, the hospital not only has the responsibility to close the racial uh, health equity gaps but it also has the wealth of its own data to dive into uh, to understand which disparities are affecting patients of color the most. So can you imagine then how great it will be if there's a standardized platform to allow it to share its findings with all those different hospitals with smaller minority population? And that can be a great guidance for those people to about how to reduce the gap when they taking the uh, minority patients. And uh, I think in addition to that, one great thing we have is that for the current landscape of data standardization, while, while some uh, health systems may develop their own technological uh, capacities, many organizations participate in one, uh, in one or more electronic health information exchanges implementa implementations. So they actually allow providers to directly access to health information, reduce time to obtain health information, and increase providers' awareness of patient interaction with the healthcare systems. So uh, that is the value of the uh, electronically exchanging through an HIE, which is the importance of the standardization of data, of course. So once data, uh, once data is being standardized, then all this data can be transferred uh, seamlessly and be integrated into the uh, EHRs, and then it will ultimately improve uh, the uh, patient's care. Well, it's encouraging to hear that those health information exchanges are beginning to actually take hold. We've been working on that for two decades. The concept's been around for a long time, and it's been really hard to implement. I think that will be super helpful. But as we get more and more of this, of this data, I mentioned the doubling curve of 
knowledge, we get we're getting all this data. Human beings are only able to process so much data. We're going to need some help. Uh, you mentioned machine learning at one point. I think is there are there things happening now to help with machine learning that might synthesize the data for us and give us meaningful insights, not just overwhelm us with a lot of information. Yes. Uh, the emergence of machine learning algorithm is, I believe, it's, it's just made to anticipate the needs from our past and current data. And it can help health system to uh, reallocate the resource in advance. So here's a case study that written by Dr. Uh, Dr. Evan Rajkomer from uh, UCSF and other researchers. And it sh- actually shows the importance of machine learning algorithm helping the uh, increased efficiency of uh, health system operation. So imagine that a hospital create a model with clinical and social variables to, uh, in order to predict which patients might be discharged earliest. And then it could actually direct the limited uh, case, case management resource to them to prevent delays. And if residents in the zip code of social economically depressed neighborhood, and they can predict a greater length of stay, and this model might disproportionately allocate their resources to those patients from richer neighborhoods. So that is a great example for how machine learning can help us to prepare in advance and uh, dynamically allocate our medical resource. However, I still want to mention that no matter how advanced those uh, machine learning algorithms will be, it is always the humans doing the final judgment call. And that is why I believe uh, healthcare experts should work together to draw better insights. Because uh, in my opinion, improving health equity is not the ultimate goal of our of the whole healthcare industry. So I think David Kindberg, the uh, Emeritus Professor of Population Health science, uh, Sciences at the University of Wisconsin-Madison said, you are not going to improve the mean if you do not reduce the gaps. And I think that can be uh, perfectly fit in the healthcare settings. So that is why we should uh, use, uh, use this chance to improve in health equity as a way to improve the healthcare for everyone globally. And also, uh, in addition to that, I think sometimes, as we can find that the data is not even controlled in the healthcare providers, and they are sometimes controlled in the large tech companies. And that is why might be another reason for healthcare companies and professionals to work together to try to acquire those data and avoid it to be purely the profit for those large companies. And finally, what I want to mention is that I know TKG is also an expert in delivering market access, go-to-market strategies, as well as connecting all these dots. So, and we, we also have our own DEI products. So I'm certainly believe that TKG will also play an important role in helping its clients, like all these large pharmaceutical companies, to achieve health cycles and build a better environment in this industry. Mm. Very interesting. Hey, that reminds me, fall of 2018, I went to a conference at Vizient. The chief strategy officer gave a presentation and I asked him the question at the end, well, where do you see Apple and Google and Amazon, all these big tech companies playing into healthcare? And he looked at me and he kind of got this sour look on his face and he said, people will never buy their healthcare from Google or from Apple or from Amazon. And, and I'm still <laughs> laughing about that. <laughs> that, was the, that was only a couple of years ago from the chief strategy officer at one of the largest hospital networks. So it's changing. The world's changing very, very fast. And we have to work quickly at, and collaborate with one another in order to keep up with the way that our, our world is changing. Thank you, Ethan. You've done a great job of taking a look at how information is more available and is there to help us if we can get our arms around it. 
Okay, this is a good place to once again press the pause button and wrap up part two of our discussion with TKG's summer interns, Amanda, Maddie, Ethan, and Ashani. In the next episode, we'll pick back up at this point and hear from Ashani as she looks at more of the micro level, focusing on patient-level point-of-care applications for addressing specific issues related to health equity and some of the tools that may be available to support clinical teams. Well, that wraps up another week of TKG's Healthcare Insights. Thank you for joining us. If you're interested in the research completed by our summer interns in this episode, please email us and we will be glad to share the details of their research with you. We welcome your other suggestions, ideas, and requests for podcast topics of interest as well. Please email us at oncology at thekineticsgroup.com and write Insights Podcast in the subject line. Thank you. Have a safe and healthy day. You have been listening to TKG's Healthcare Insights, a program produced by the TKG Oncology team of the Kinetics Group. TKG Oncology empowers life science companies to effectively engage with health system and payer customers by developing strategies and real-world solutions aimed at impacting the right patient at the right time with the right care. We also work directly with health systems and payers to address the critical issues of our time. We would love to hear from you. Reach out to us at tkgoncology.com. Thank you for joining us today.